Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that panders to the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories, including Apple car plans shift gear away from building cars, but maybe still to make autonomous driving systems. We talk about the last Falcon. It goes out not with a whimper, but a bang. We also have a drive of the hot version of the Hyundai i30 SR. Well, it's got sort of a sporty twist. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including road signs being used to shame drivers. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to get the program going, let's have the news. In 2014, Apple started its Titan program with the grand ambition of entering the car manufacturing arena with products featuring autonomous vehicle technology. It was a time when consultant McKenzie & Co. was estimating the industry would be worth $6.7 trillion by 2030. Now Bloomberg reports that Apple has drastically scaled back its aspirations – They are now focusing on just developing the autonomous system and they will leave the car build to others. And even then they are setting a deadline of late next year by which time they have to prove to themselves that it is going to be a viable product. Google's car project has also lost staff. Difficulties of building a car are only part of the issue. Investors might not be impressed with the low margins that car companies appear to operate. The best means of defence is attack. Tesla has had bad press about the safety of its autopilot system, which, as we reported last week, has been described as a traffic hazard. Rather than withdrawing, Tesla has come out confident and fighting. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has said that every car we make on order of 2,000 cars a week are shipping with hardware capable of full driverless capability. He went on to say... I think that is probably unexpected by most that this is happening right now. Musk said that the vehicles and systems would need regulatory approval before the system could be activated. It is unclear how soon or in what states these vehicles would be able to fully operate autonomously. Musk has said Tesla was making improvements to its autopilot system following the fatal crash in May of Joshua Brown in Florida. Governments around the world have been bending over backwards to try and encourage autonomous vehicles so that investment income will come to their jurisdiction. But California has now taken steps to impose rules on autonomous cars that the industry said will hobble the self-driving vehicle testing and development programs. They question why California would require a new autonomous vehicle data recorder and what data they would be required to test, and they object to a proposal they said would force a 12-month delay between testing a vehicle and deploying it on public roads. Carmakers also questioned whether police should be able to get any self-driving data within 24 hours without seeking a warrant or subpoena. Melbourne has just hosted the International Intelligent Transport System Conference, where over 11,000 visitors attended over the five-day conference. At the closing of the event, this year's winners of the ITS Australian Awards were announced. Winners include the HERE Mapping Group, which provides a virtual representation of the real world to enable governments to better plan and manage road and street assets. 
the South Australian Government Department for its smartphone app and incident detection system that uses Bluetooth technology to connect to the motorist mobile phones, providing verbal real-time alerts about unforeseen or unplanned traffic delays. The problem Samsung Electronics is having with their Galaxy Note 7 smartphone appears to be spilling over into the car industry. A Bloomberg report has said that Fiat Chrysler's talks with Samsung over a partnership with its car parts unit have stalled because the Korean company is focused on resolving its smartphone crisis. This is not to say they might not still agree to a working relationship, it's just that it is unlikely to be achieved in the initial timetable of the end of the year. Fiat declined to comment on the status of the talks, while Samsung said in an email statement it doesn't comment on rumours or speculation. Fiat Chief Executive Officer Sergio Marcioni, who dropped his push for a merger with other car makers last year, has increasingly turned his attention to technological providers. And that has been the news. The Australian Falcon is no more. It has ceased production. Now, the last updated version they released in March this year was not your basic family hack with a few extra features, but the performance sprint versions with a large lump of a V8 Detroit iron up front or what many consider to be the pick of the range, a turbocharged 6. It is leaving not with a whimper, but a bang. But are the sprint cars just a powerful engine on an old body or are they really a driver's car that is a pleasure to own paul morell and i have been driving an xr6 and he's driven the v8 as well so let's have a chat paul it was lovely to see the falcon go with a bold statement given its history in australia it was david it uh, it's been around for a long time and it would have been a bit sad if it had quietly shuffled off without without making a, a bit of noise on its way out well, you look at it when it first came in in 1960, towards the end of 1960, it wasn't a success then, but it sort of built up with that publicity stunt of being driving hard. And then, of course, in the late 60s and 70s, it really got into that whole Bathurst performance-type car. It was a real thing of pride, really, for Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Obviously, going way, way back to the, the early 60s model, the XK that arrived, that was very much an very much an American spec car and it it simply wasn't suitable for Australian conditions and hence most people don't remember but the Falcon almost didn't make the grade it almost it almost disappeared off the market way back in the 60s and as you say it was only when they did that 70,000 kilometer non-stop torture test that uh, they could sort of say well look we have modified it it now suits Australia and it's been progressively modified for Australian conditions ever since. When you went through to the GTHO, the Wheels magazine in the uh, in this early 70s, particularly the Phase 3, uh, were talking about it uh, as a, literally outperformed a Ferrari it w- and it was a four-door sedan. As, as that, that's not bad. Now, the, the latest one's here, flawed in some ways, and we'll talk about that, mm. but it's hard to condemn the engine and dynamics of it, isn't it? They, they are, for a big car, a really great bang-for-your-buck performance. Oh, yes, they are. That was where Australian cars had, had their strength, with the amount of car you got for your money and the amount of performance you get for your money. And the latest ones were the, the absolute pinnacle of that years and years of evolution. Not just the engine, but as I say, the actual dynamics, they handle remarkably well. Oh yeah, anyone can build a a big engine and stuff it in a car and make it go fast in a straight line. 
and then and then let people kill themselves. That was the whole principle of the muscle car era in the late sixties and seventies, wasn't it? Yes, it that was. they went very fast in a straight line. If you saw a bend approaching, you sort of got a little concerned. But other than that, they were fabulous fun. <laughs> As I said in the introduction, that perhaps the Turbo 6 is in fact the better balance car. The V8's a bit heavy up front, and the 6 gives you a, a really sharp performance. Yes, it is. Um, I guess if, they, if you didn't have the two of them to compare side by side, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't have any complaints about the V8 being heavy. It's only in comparison. Mm. And yet, you know, we're buying cars. I mean, we talked about the Falcon GTHO. That was, at, at the time, the fastest four-door sedan in the world. And this particular one, the, the limited edition Sprint that Ford are going out with, it's got performance that would rival, you know, supercars like Porsches and, and the like. It's an amazing amount of motor car for not really an amazing amount of money. The Falcon, I've got to say, some of the things about it, I sat too high in it, and the interior was a bit dated. Uh, those, those things perhaps are not part of its nice legacy. It's fairly obvious that Ford pulled the plug on, on development money fairly early on in the Falcon's final iteration. And yes, you're right too. But yes, sitting up too high is just one of those things that I don't know why, why Ford does that. Yes, you do. You feel like you're sitting on it. Yeah, rather than in it. The thing that really showed to my mind that it was an old design was the boot. You see some modern cars where the boot is usable. I think we talked about this last time. Mm. Usable, easy. It's not just the space. A flat floor on it. In the back of the Falcon, it was almost lumpy. Well, not lumpy, but where the spare tyre was decreased a bit. And it just didn't look as though it was something that had had some ergonomics thrown at it. No, it, it doesn't seem to. I mean, again, it's a, it's a sign of the, the age of the underlying platform, the age of the design. Had Ford been ringing out another model of the Falcon, then that would have been addressed almost certainly. They're not buying the XR8s and the XR6 Sprints um, for the boot. I mean, it's still a a pretty good space. Sadly, it only comes in an automatic. Yeah, well, I think that's the way of the world, to be honest. Um, And even some some of those manual models weren't the most pleasant things to drive towards the end. I mean, the Holden Monaro Commodore manual wasn't a really pleasant gearbox and the autos are so good now that you just don't need a manual gearbox. I believe Ford some years ago stopped producing a manual V8 because they realised they sold about 80 of them and about 70 of them went to Ford uh, workers who loved the image but who really weren't part of the market. Yeah, well, as I said, it is with a bang, not a whimper. A nice way to go out. Paul, great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. That's Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au and we were talking about the last update of the Falcon which was in fact the Sprint series, a performance-based series, not just your normal family hack. You're listening to Overdrive. The Hyundai i30 is a great selling car. In fact, it's a practical car, very good for a range of people in what Australians call the small car class, but which is the size of Corollas and so on. And really, that fits both the young people and perhaps even a whole range of people as well. But does it need a hot version? Well, at least one with a sporty twist. Overdrive's Brian Smith and I have had a go of the i30 SR, 
What's It Like, Brian, joins us on the line to tell us. G'day, Brian. Thanks for your time. G'day, David. You, you had a little go of it. It was red, I think, in colour from memory. It was a week or so ago. Um, it, was it a sporty car to you? It looked sporty. I found it not terribly sporty. It, its ride was firm and nice, but really there was a lot of noise when you um, pushed the pedal, but not a heck of a lot happening uh, in making the out, the outside go past faster. Yeah, it gets a 2-litre engine. The normal ones get about a 1.8. Uh, it's not turboed. It's just got a bit of uh, extra power, 124 kilowatts from memory. Uh, and so we're not talking about a raucous sort of performance. But does that matter? Were you comfortable? You took it on a bit of a long drive. Was it enjoyable? Took it down the coast, David. It was a comfortable car to drive, two up and some gear. It performed pretty well, though I have to say um, uh, you needed to row through the gears, a six-speed uh, manual, and certainly as you uh, as the road pointed up in any way, you had to very quickly uh, drop down the gears to uh, to make sure you didn't run out of torque. So, look, it was it's not the best touring car and it's not the best performance car. Were you comfortable inside? Yeah, look, it was uh, it was a comfortable ride. The seats were nice. Um, I couldn't get the sort of smart uh, screen thing to work for me. I didn't really have enough time with the car to program it for the phone, but my uh, my passenger certainly was able to very quickly get um, music playing from his phone through the speaker system. It was a pretty good speaker system, uh, and it handled nicely. I must say it was, uh, I mean, the Hyundai a pretty well-sorted car. I like the Hyundai i30. I think it's a very good value car. Not sure about the value of this. This is pretty expensive. You can get it uh, from about twenty six and a half thousand up to about thirty five. Was it about thirty three and a half thousand plus on road costs, of course. So you are paying a bit of a premium, given you can get the sort of an i thirty, a base model i thirty for what around the twenty plus plus on roads, mm. and about seven point three liters per hundred or so uh, in economy, which is. Yeah, not too bad, I guess, for just a petrol engine driving there. I like the uh, rear vision uh, camera, which uh, is displayed through the same screen. So it's like a, I guess, like a large smartphone sitting on its side in your dash. And in in that respect, very easy to see. The uh, the camera is quite good, uh, and yeah, I'm sure it has a lot of functionality. It's just uh, one of the issues with this, of course, is that uh, you have to take a while to learn how to use it and learn how to uh, connect to it. You said you went with a bit of gear, the cargo space, 378 litres, not huge. Was it enough for you? It was enough. We were able to put a couple of folding chairs, a uh, couple of bags and, uh, you know, an esky in the back. Certainly there was uh, room and there was room behind the front seats for other things as well. Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. A pleasure. And that's Brian Smith. And we were talking about the Hyundai i30 SR, the sporty version. Hot version, no sporty, but a bit of sporty twist about it, perhaps, but not too much indeed. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are again at the end of another program. Let's have a chat about the unusual stories in motoring and transport. Once again, I'm joined by Brian Smith. Okay, Brian. G'day, David. Now, uh, Brian, you have a story for us. Certainly, this is uh, the use of variable message signs, not just to provide you information, but to shame individual people. So uh, the River Park Flooring Company in Canada had a client who owed them some money, a little bit more than uh, $1,100, and uh, 
they weren't going to pay. So um, the the company placed a variable message sign along the side of the road indicating that the person whose name they used on the sign had a balance overdue of $1,153.19 and the comment not cool. And uh, quite quickly, the uh, the customer paid the bill within a few days, but uh, there was a lot of questions and a lot of reaction about, well, you know, is it appropriate for, for sh- sort of deliberately shaming individual people uh, and, uh, you know, potentially... Yeah, blackening somebody's name who's totally innocent. It's uh, it's an interesting use of uh, that sort of technology on the roadside. We know what they expect the person to do to pay the bill, but what do they expect the public to do about it? I've run a reasonable business, and twenty percent of the account department's time was spent chasing up payments. It can be it can be you know in a very very expensive business. In fact. You know, there are businesses now that will take all your bills, charge you 10 or 15% and uh, factor and go and uh, do the chasing up for you. But the other side of it is there could be extenuating circumstances. Indeed. It's certainly, you're asking what the sign expects of others, well, clearly to judge that person. And there's a very good chance in a small place that, uh, that many people could know that person and uh, find out perhaps more about this situation than they ought to. You are turning the community into lynch mobs. It's the Darren Hinch principle. <laughs> Every, everyone hates a person who's a pedophile, who plans and what have you, but I have heard stories of some people that end up on the uh, sex offenders register who have made one mistake many years ago, or even that might be debatable. Now, I'm not justifying I'm not saying it's good, but to turn lynch mobs, to create lynch mobs, is, I think, somewhat dangerous mm. within that context. No, I agree. I think it's risky to put a sign on the side of the road that calls out a particular person, unless that person is a politician, in which case, <laughs> knock, knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, Brian, there was uh, um, some men uh, d- doing a robbery emerged from a one-stop convenience stall on Hungry Hill in uh, Stourbridge in the UK in the West Midlands. They went to hop into their silver Volkswagen Golf and it wouldn't go. And so they went to a Mondeo that was nearby, hopped in it, drove off without realising that there was an 88-year-old and a 37-year-old woman in the back now, Brian, I just wonder whether this is a story that Ford may use to publicise the fact that their Mondeo work worked when a Volkswagen Golf didn't. <laughs> or, it's, or it's perhaps it's so comfortable and roomy that you just won't even notice this. Other people, the performance is so good, you know. <laughs> you can carry out a conversation in the back without disturbing the people in the front. Yeah, look, there's a lot of lines here. I know. Marketing must jump on this. Well, look, an 88-year-old woman, I just hope that the robbers were, weren't foul-mouthed. Well, I know some 88-year-old woman who might be somewhat foul-mouthed and telling them what they thought about being suddenly chauffeured where they didn't want to go. Mm. It appears, though, that the fellow, uh, the the two women were in the back of the car and apparently the driver had gone out to use the uh, an ATM but had left the keys in the car. I guess maybe, you know, they were had the radio on or something like that, but it is a, a bit of a risk that you're leaving someone in the position where anyone could jump into the car. Well, leaving your keys anywhere can be a great danger. There's now quite a, well, there has been quite a situation where 
people break into your house, go to the little key rack that's near the door, get the keys to the car and go out and steal the car. Because mm. there's no use stealing the... Well, there's no, you know, there's no video recorders anymore, and your televisions are pretty cheap compared to what they used to be. So, really, you've got to go back to uh, uh, pinching the car. Now, we did do a story some time ago about uh, the Prius ad at the football at the Super Bowl, which had the Prius being used as a getaway car. <laughs> so, you, you know, there is a potential to use this for advertising. The other thing is, quite often you see an, on the news now, they don't just report that a car had a crash, they report the, they report the brand of the car. Uh, and it really started to happen with Commodores. And the other one is Subarus doing Ram Race. Oh, yes. Subarus were well known for that, weren't they? They select a nice Subaru. That was often, I think, seen as a bit of a hoon car by some. Oh, yes. And then they're now reporting if it's a four-wheel drive. Oh, so there's a social element to this, isn't there? A cultural element about, uh, you know, I guess there's an opportunity then for car companies to perhaps persuade the news to report on other car brands. (laughs) (laughs) Or cash for no comment. Emphasise, yeah. Emphasise. Emphasise, uh, you know, other fa- other brands rather than their own. Did they afford crash to there? Was it poor reliability? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. The other thing was it was somewhat ageist because the heading to this story reported that there was an 88-year-old woman in the back and failed to mention that there was also a 37-year-old woman. Doesn't seem uh, seem uh, balanced from that point of view. Brian, you have a story for us. Indeed, David, this is a story of multimodal travel. So uh, a woman in Ohio who missed the last bus for the night decided to get home uh, by stealing an ambulance um, from the hospital. So uh, a 43-year-old Lisa Carr, the ambulance driver, had left the vehicle running on Thursday night and uh, she jumped into it, drove it to her own home. She was arrested by police after a short pursuit, as they say, and... uh, She was charged with theft, failure to comply with a police order and driving whilst under suspension. Um, So, David, I I think she showed quite a lot of initiative, but possibly uh, should be using her powers for good instead of evil. Taking car sharing to the extreme, really, isn't it? At least there was no no patient in the back of it. An 88-year-old woman. Yes. Yeah, that was on the way to help the 88-year-old woman who was caught in the back of the, the car. Possibly, it's, possibly. I reckon, I, I, in fact, I get on a bit of a soapbox here, which may surprise you, Brian, uh, that really I'm, I, I hate the lack of humanity, you know, that it's more important for me to get home than for someone mm. to have an ambulance. Now, yes. when, I'm, when I'm tired and frustrated and, and, and f- not feeling like I'm being heard, uh, I get more frustrated when I'm on the road. Um, You act out. Yeah, and so there's this whole thing. Now, the road toll's going up. We know distraction road rage is going up. I wonder if it's not the sort of environment that we have now politically and in the media where there is everything I say is right, everything you do is wrong. Uh, the me, 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 me sort of yes, generation. Yes, the me, me generation. It's been said in many cases, yet now we seem to be applying it with a much greater vileness Vigor. almost, mm. bile of which we it just describe things, which Trump said, Donald Trump said that uh, the death rate is very, very high and it's going up and what have you. Well, it's only been going up recently, and I wonder if that's not because he's on the scene. <laughs> rather than just because there's some policy that may not be appropriate. 
Anyway, that's that's my soapbox issue. Let me just uh, finish with this story, uh, Brian. Uh, the police uh, have reported in the uh, city on the, in the Indiana Indiana County uh, five Amish men. Well, they're men in the sense that they're over eighteen, but in the American sense, they're not men because they're not allowed to drink. However, they are in one of the Amish buggies, and uh, several of them. Well, actually, weren't in the buggy; they were on the roof. <laughs> Which, surprisingly, yes. the police thought was a bit unusual. <laughs> it must be a hard top. Uh, I thought they might have been profiling them for a while, but <laughs> being on the roof, perhaps that gives them a reason. They pull them over, and, of course, they're drunk. Sorry, Brian, you were saying? I was going to say it must be a hard top because uh, it obviously wasn't the, the little buggy with a fringe on top. <laughs> They're in the area of Sunset and First Street, and uh, they pulled them over. Uh, Here's an interesting thing, Brian. It's been said that uh, older people driving, if you stop them driving, they actually become pedestrians and have more chance of dying. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying that's an absolute thing. I'm not saying that should therefore make a policy decision. But uh, the the concern is, of course, if a a person is driving and they lose their competence, they then might be a danger to other people. But a buggy, is is it better to have the kids in the buggy uh, rather than staggering along the street? Well, certainly, as long as there's a competent horse at the front, I mean, they're pretty clever. A horse will pretty much learn its way places and get people home quite safely. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, there's a chance of them being drunk in charge of a, of a horse and buggy is probably less risky than uh, drunk in charge of a, of a car. Oh, well, you know what that leads to. You should have uh, random breath testing for horses. Ah, as long as the horse is sober, I don't know, David, I think. Well, the other thing is perhaps a horse-drawn buggy is one of the first examples of almost an autonomous vehicle. Mm. Take take me home. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Maybe we could get to that quicker than what we might do, because we saw the in the uh, overdrive news that the Tesla autopilot has been defined as being a bit of a risk to safety for other reasons. Well, perhaps we should go back to the horse. Yeah. Brian, you know how much I enjoy having a chat. Thank you again for your time. You're very welcome, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith, Paul Morell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast a whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.